if you imagine that there is a drug out there that you know increases your metabolism, causes weight loss, damps down inflammation, you know, doesn't cause allergies and improves your quality of life and you live longer, you know. Imagine that drug, that sort of elixir of life, it exists and it's called food. But the problem is that food can also act the other way. You know, the door swings both ways and it can cause obesity. It can cause diabetes, blood pressure, cancers, misery, and an early death. Dr. Andrew Jenkinson is part of an expert team developing advances in gastrointestinal surgery at University College Hospital. He's here to explain how we can eat and still lose weight. I'm Liz Earle. Welcome to the Liz Earle Wellbeing Show. This is the podcast helping us all have a better second half. And as you know, it's my mission to find ways for all of us to thrive in later life by investing in our health and our well-being today. So we are reaching the end of January and research suggests that by this point, you're likely to have given up the quick fix fad diet. But if your goal is to lose weight, you might want to ditch the traditional ideas you've had about the best way to do that anyway and focus on things like habit creation, mental reprogramming and understanding your hormones instead. Andrew Jenkinson is a consultant surgeon with a special interest in advanced keyhole surgery. We've spoken here before, you may well recognise his voice. And he's an expert on stomachs and bowels and has written a vital book called How to Eat and Still Lose Weight. So let's unpack the fascinating relationship between the brain and the body, as well as the hormonal imbalances that are key to sustainable weight loss. And by the way, there is no willpower required for this diet. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches and fine jewellery, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. So, Andrew, why are you so passionate about the food we put into our bodies? And what angle are you coming at this from as a surgeon? Well, thanks for the invitation to be here, Liz. It's always a pleasure. I sort of had zero interest in dieting and weight regulation when I was sort of younger and even training as a, as a surgeon. But when I qualified as a bariatric weight loss surgeon, my clinics became full of people who really, really struggled with their weight, you know, took over their lives constantly dieting. And 
they all sort of said the same sorts of things. So things like, yeah, I can lose weight on a low calorie diet, but I always put it back on. I think I've got a low metabolism and I think it might be in the genes. So all of these things got me thinking, you know, they're against the, then they're not sort of common knowledge, but everyone, all the patients were trying to tell me the same thing. So I just got sort of, uh, slightly inspired to look into weight regulation and metabolism in, in much more detail. And that, you know, was the inspiration for the first book, Why We Eat Too Much, which mm. really laid out how food affects our hormones rather than just calories and nutrients. But the feedback from that book was, this is really, really good. Many people did lose a lot of weight and kept it off, but other people really had difficulty, you know, cracking their old bad habits. So this is where the second book's come in, which looks at, you know, quite a lot of the new science around the brain and habits and reward pathways. Mm. And I think sort of it unpicks that in such a way that when you understand it, it just becomes much easier to change yeah. not only habits, but your diet and then just reset your weight, basically. Mm. Fascinating. I mean, I remember well our first conversation. We were talking about why we eat, you know, the, the first book, that relationship between food and our bodies and talking about these different hormones that come into play, ghrelin and leptin, for example. But you're right, we didn't necessarily talk about how our brains are constantly seeking the easiest and most pleasurable path. And that's obviously often at the detriment to our health. So when you were focusing now on, on the new book, what was really the, the, the importance then of this brain-body connection? And, and how do we tap into that? We know the interesting story was... Penguin kept pestering me to write another book. And I said, look, I don't have any new ideas. Um, and then I was doing one of my clinics in the UAE with my friend, uh, Sama, who's my translator. He's a Jordanian man. And we'd been seeing patients, you know, throughout the day, people who wanted dietary advice or bariatric surgery operations like sleeve or band or just the injection treatment. And then we were sort of having a coffee in the evening, uh, me and Sam were sitting outside. And Sam is a pretty slim guy. He's in his 40s. And he said, you know, Dr. Andrew, I used to be, I used to suffer with obesity as well. I used to be 125 kilograms and he was now you know, 75 kilograms. Wow. And he had managed to maintain that weight loss for 10 years. And I, I was just totally intrigued. Basically, what he, what he was doing was pretty much what the advice was from my first book, Why We Eat Too Much. So Basically, you know, cut down on carbs, you know, avoid sugar and, you know, processed foods, eat fish, meat mm. and vegetables and fresh fruits and not snack too much. So he had sort of done that, but he'd had a lot of difficulty doing it. And the, the, the whole inspiration for this book came about by the fact that through learning about weight loss, and he said, it's like learning to play a guitar, for instance, you're going to make mistakes, you know, you're going to go off the rails, you're going to get like really sort of frustrated but the more you try, the better you'll get at weight loss, the more dietary efforts you have. Mm. Eventually, it'd come to a point where his whole brain was sort of changed in that he developed a real aversion to sugar and processed foods. And, mm -hmm. you know, he said to me, you know, if a hamburger, a fast food hamburger was the last thing on earth to eat, he wouldn't eat it. Interesting. So yeah. The inspiration was that, you know, he wasn't using willpower anymore. Mm -hmm. He didn't need willpower. His mind had been changed. And it's sort of a little bit like, um, I'm sure you've heard of the Alan Carr's method of giving up smoking. Yes. Once you know, once you really, really grasp what nicotine does for you, uh, how it sort of 
hooks you and you know mm-hmm. what it can do what it does to your body and the whole sort of environment around it without advertising and acceptance in society especially a few years ago once you know that and have that knowledge you mm. become a different person and it's almost you finish that book and the idea is you're already a non-smoker mm-hmm. so you know the inspiration for this book was let's put all the information out there you know, not only about what food does to our hormones, but also how it really hooks us and changes our habits. And once we understand that, you know, it's so much easier to to change. Mm. So really what I'm kind of distilling from this is a shift in mentality before anything else is is kind of the first and the most important step in, in moving towards weight loss. Yeah, I mean, there's a section in the book about our identity, i.e. who we are. Um, and I think one of the parts says, imagine you're in a room with, you know, the childhood yourself, the the adolescent you, the young adult you, the mature adult you, and the elderly you. Are you all the same people? Have you got the same identity? And the answer is no, you're totally different yeah. people. Our, our identities are formed by, they're constantly changing by our sort of interaction and knowledge of the world. So for instance, if you read a book and, you know, educate yourself about exactly what the food environment does, not only to your body, but to your brain, you become a different person, your identity changes slightly, and then you're not as reliant on willpower. You know, you understand what's going on, you grasp it. So, yeah, it is a little bit like you just educate yourself to such an extent that it, willpower is no longer no. a big issue. No, I've never actually thought of it in that specific way, but over the years, I've definitely changed how I eat, and I eat a lot more protein very little sugar, virtually nothing out of a packet. And I do that because not necessarily for weight loss, although that's kind of been a helpful side effect, but because I want to build a stronger body. I want to have more muscle mass. I want my brain to function better as I age. I want to be clearer headed. And you're right. I've, I've kind of lost my sweet tooth and that urge to snack because my brain is is just no longer telling me that that's a good thing. So I'm, I'm seeing it from not from a calorific restriction, but a kind of a health gain, which is a, a total switch, isn't it, of, of how we perceive it in our brain? Yeah. I mean, Sam has said uh, to me when he was explaining all the various different things he'd done to, you know, totally reset his weight by you know, 50 kilograms. That the most difficult thing was giving up sugar. And he spent 40 days, you know, he said he could have cried. His friends were sort of chiding him and offering him sweets and things. And he said he, he, he could have banged his head against the wall. Uh, but he said after 40 days, mm. it just left him. The craving just left him. It never came back. But you know, one of the interesting things to think about is if you imagine that there is a drug out there that, you know, increases your metabolism causes weight loss, damps down inflammation, you know, doesn't cause allergies and improves your quality of life and you live longer, you know. Imagine that drug, that sort of elixir of life, it exists and it's called food. But the problem is that food can also act the other way, you know, the door swings both ways and it can cause obesity, it can cause diabetes, blood pressure, cancers, misery and an early death. So we need to start thinking about food, not just a in terms of calories, which we obviously need to to survive and move around and, you know, and also not just about nutrients, which obviously our body body needs, so our vitamins and minerals and things like that, but also we need to think about food in what it does to us as a drug. Um, Mm -hmm. And an example would be, for instance, when you drink a cup of coffee, that's like a natural drug from plants that's going to, you know, wake you up, you know, 
increase your blood pressure, uh, increase your metabolism, maybe make you a little bit anxious. This is a typical example of a plant drug. Mm-hmm. But, you know, all the food we eat, whether it be processed or fresh, has various different effects on uh, our hormonal system and our, and our, our, our brains and, uh, and minds. And we need to sort of start really thinking about food as a drug as well as calories and nutrients. Mm. For instance, you know, there is a very important hormone called leptin, which we sort of discussed in the first book. And you can just sort of think of it as our weight control hormone. So it just works. When it's functioning, it works to naturally control your weight. And this weight control hormone is working absolutely perfectly in all wild animals. They don't suddenly develop obesity, you know, in in response to having quite a lot of food. They don't become obese. But this weight control hormone can be blocked by various different, you know, sort of drug elements in our foods. And we all know that sugar and refined carbohydrates cause weight loss and they cause it by increasing insulin, which then blocks that weight control hormone. So certainly you go to a situation where your weight was under control sort of seamlessly and naturally Mm -hmm. to it being out of control. And a lot of my patients describe this really quite scary feeling of their weight not being under their own control or natural control Mm -hmm. anymore and just wanting to go up. They develop a voracious appetite and, you know, it's, it's scary for them. And that's because the food that they're eating is blocking their weight control. Is blocking it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of the time, I think eating just turns into a kind of habitual, almost mindless behavior. I mean, talking about drugs and hormones and neurochemicals, talk to me about where dopamine fits into these loops and how we can start to create better habits around eating. Yes, there is a lot of new and emerging understanding of brain science, including reward pathways and the most understood ones are the ones that involve the dopamine reward. Mm. We actually have quite vulnerable brains, you know, we're wired to survive. And one of those things is to seek high calorie, you know, sweet foods. Once we've had an experience of eating that particular type of food, and it tends to be when we're very young and given sweets and things as a treat, we, we will never forget that. That feeling of reward, dopamine that's released when we ate that is remembered. And our brains will seek out cues from anywhere in the environment where that food and that reward might still be available and we'll, we'll go after it. And so our brains are pretty vulnerable and the, the food industry are very much aware how our brains yes. work. And <laughs> they've manufactured, mm. they've manufactured, you know, artificial, but extremely you know, hedonic and uh, pleasurable yeah. foods. Yeah, I mean, do you see that? Uh, that's deliberate. Yes, I mean, yeah, because, it, it's you know, just the a mo- sort of pursuit of profit pathway. Yes, I mean, these foods are always sort of tested on, you know, hundreds of different variants on thousands of, of, of volunteers, and they'll come up with like some perfect color, mm. taste, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Crunch, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mouthfeel. That you just want to keep, keep going back to. Yeah. And on the back of that, they'll then, you know, Introduce brightly coloured logos and just reminders of this. This is where the food is. This is where right. you can get it. And we are surrounded by you know food advertising twenty four seven. So once you become aware of you know mm-hmm. what the environment is like, how you know the food industry has manufactured fantastic tasting foods, but you know foods that are quite dangerous to us. The penny starts to drop that you know things are stacked a little bit against us, but actually it's 
it's quite easy to understand that, you know, our mm. vulnerable brain is being a little bit hijacked by, you know, industry. That is really interesting, isn't it? When you, when you think about the environmental or the lifestyle cues or triggers that are out there, you know, working away to keep us in unhealthy eating patterns deliberately. And when you, you spot it and see it, it's kind of quite hard to unsee it, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. I think that's quite a good point, Liz. It's, um, it really is. And if you go down the high street or if you just switch on the TV or put on your, 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 your smartphone, you're bombarded. We're constantly bombarded by adverts for, you know, snacks and foods that are really, really, you know, probably taste quite good, you know, but they're not very good for our bodies. And when you understand, you know, exactly what's in these foods, so lots of vegetables, sugars, flavorings, colorings, artificial, you know, things that are not food at all, you know, not only causing that blockage of your weight control hormone, but, you know, pro-inflammatory conditions, yeah. allergies, you know, all of these things. Once you understand that's the food that they're marketing yes. and they're marketing it because it looks great and it tastes mm-hmm. great, but actually they're working on your vulnerable brain and, you know, this type of food actually is really, really bad for you. Yeah. Then with that understanding, it's a little bit easier to Yes. Change habits. And the book then goes into, you know, understanding habits and how they can be changed as well. Mm. I mean, I think a lot of us, our habits may have changed recently. I mean, I think, can we touch on lockdown weight here? You know, we went through a huge change then in terms of environment and habit and lifestyle. And presumably that had a detrimental knock-on effect in terms of weight and the habits we might have gotten ourselves into. I mean, I remember, you know, trying to buy food and, and my greengrocer and my butcher were shut, but I could go into a McDonald's or I could order a pizza. I mean, the whole thing was just so totally skewed. And presumably, you know, we were locked down for far too long and, you know, too many people only had bad food choices available to them. And it doesn't take long, does it, for a healthy habit, you know, to go out of the window and be replaced by something you know, far more disastrous for our health. Yeah, so there's a, a chapter in the book which starts on, you know, the consequences of lockdown and describes a pretty negative effect, you know, like um, the fact that I think a third of people lost control of their weight. They put on a wow. considerable amount of weight. A third? Yeah, put on a lot of weight. staggering. Um, that is staggering. For instance, the gyms were closed as well. Well, exactly. They? And we um, weren't allowed to go outside for like more than 20 minutes. I mean, how bizarre really is that? We weren't allowed to walk the dog properly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just go um, out and fresh, breathe so, fresh air. You know, but the, so the, the, the point of that chapter is, you know, actually lockdown was terrible and it was caused by this forcible change in our habits, mm. which changed, you know, our weight and our health. But actually the good news is, you know, once you understand that, you know, those habits were were changed by lockdown, mm-hmm. we can change habits back change towards back. healthier ones. Yeah. But you just need to know how to. It's all about, you know, friction of how easy uh, well, things are. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you about this, a slightly contentious one, perhaps, or maybe it's just semantics. But, you know, what's your take on whether we can be addicted to food? Yes, yeah, so I think we are. I mean, obviously, the reward pathways, for instance, sugary type foods, we we do get a great reward from it. It makes us happier sort of wakes us up a little bit. So unless you've given up sugar, if you still you know, eat sugar now and again, you will get a craving for it mm-hmm. at particular times. And it might just be a particular time of day when your brain is just used to having that reward. Or it may be when you're walking along the high street and you see an advert for something or, you know, something reminds you when you, you, you open your phone or whatever. That's when you get that, you know, that 
that cue, yeah. you know, the, yeah. the reminder that the reward is there. It's and hard. That's when the craving starts. And that's what addiction is, I think. So. I mean, I mean, for me, it's, 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 it's putting fuel in the car. And then I go to pay in the petrol station and you're queuing. And as you queue, there is this huge aisle of really tasty snacks and chocolate and all the rest of it. And you just think, oh, maybe I'll just pick up one of those. And it, I have to literally physically turn my body and look the other way and, and just think, this is all junk. It's deliberate marketing. I'm not going to go for it. They're just, you think of them as like drug pushers. You know, I'm just a whole load of push drug dealers just standing on the side of the road waiting for me to come along and feed my addiction. Well, I'm sorry, it's just not happening. I mean, occasionally I'll, you know, pick up something, but nine times out of the 10, I really do. And I say, I know I see you, I call you out. I'm not having it. Yeah. So that's, so you have, you have some insight into the fact that, you know, you do have a normal human vulnerable brain, Mm. have insight into that cue and that craving, but you say no. One of the things in the book that we sort of look into a little bit is, you know, obviously the reward pathway system is a little bit, it does act like a drug. So those sweets in the aisle at the petrol station, Mm. They're drugs, mm-hmm. okay. You're much more likely to cave in and pick them up if you're very stressed. Right, yes. Just like you might if you're a smoker, yeah. have a or cigarette, an alcohol, or if you yeah. like a drink, sure. you know, have a glass of wine. Yeah. Um, so there are a number of techniques in, in the book. It's called, a, what's it called, De-Stress Toolkit or something, mm-hmm. where there's breathing exercises, there's, you know, different types of meditation, there's touch and tapping techniques, which... If you find that there is like one or two of them that actually really suit you and you can, you can start to control your stress levels without resorting to drugs, whether it be, you know, a Kit Kat mm. or a glass of wine, mm-hmm. it's it just makes it easier to resist those, those, yeah. those cravings and temptations. Mm. The other thing in the book that, uh, it goes over is this thing called crave surfing. So if you find that, you know, you've got this craving for, I don't know, some bad food or whatever, by becoming, you know, very consciously aware of the, the strength of that craving, in a way it becomes easier to, to, to withstand it. Mm-hmm. Um, it becomes conscious and you can, you can feel the crave, the strength of the crave increasing and incre- increasing and incre- increasing. And then you'll you'll feel the, the strength of the wave decreasing. It's called crave surfing. Right. And you will go over waves. It will get worse, you know, more difficult and then easier. And as you go along, those waves will become less mm. uh, less severe. You know, that's one way of getting through these early craves. Right. right. But you know, if you give something up for long enough, then those those craves yeah. won't be won't yeah. be as pronounced. I mean, you obviously run a bariatric surgery unit at University College London Hospital. Why are people ending up coming to you? You know, what what sort of journeys would they have been on beforehand? Presumably, you see quite hardcore cases where people have tried so many things before you finally end up with a bariatric surgeon. Yeah. So everyone has tried, you know, decades of dieting mm. with the usual sort of advice from doctors and dietitians, you know, counting calories, Watch out for fat, which is the most terrible advice ever. You know, natural saturated fat is really, really it's good for really you. It's really good okay, for you. I'm so thrilled you said that because, yeah, you know, sugar is the baddie. Fat is the hero. <laughs> well, you know, natural yeah. saturated fat is the hero. But, you know, right. we get confused because polyunsaturated fatty yes. acids, so vegetable oils, which we're told are healthy, are almost like a, a metabolic poison for us which is explained in the, the first book, but also we go over that, you know, the omega-3-6 ratio thing. And the fact that this really healthy anti-inflammatory helps insulin work 
fatty acid omega-3 is basically washed out of our system by vegetable oils and fast foods and processed foods. Yeah. And that means that our insulin doesn't work properly. We become a different person, you know, and it's just mm. much more easy for, for our bodies to want to put weight on because, you know, we need more insulin so that weight loss hormone is blocked. Uh, etc cetera, etc cetera. so fascinating I, I love that bariatric surgeon saying you know eat more saturated fat you know focus on totally uh, yeah, on, yeah. on omega-3 and, the thing and, about and the avoid seed oils is, yeah go on yeah. well you know one of the interesting things is and this is a bit controversial but I think it's true you know I've, I've got this big theory that the omega-3-6 profile so the amount of omega-3 which is in natural fresh foods versus the amount of omega-6, which is in all processed foods, is like there's a big disparity. Mm. So if you want to even it out, as far as meat is concerned, you need to eat meat that's grass-fed. So Absolutely. And not grain-fed, because grains yep. are, the, you know, the seeds, they've got a load of omega-6 in, so you're, yes. you're eating. So you get seed oil in your meat you, because the animal yeah, has exactly. eaten seeds. Yeah, yeah. absolutely So right. grass-fed mm-hmm. cow, uh, beef and, and lamb mm-hmm. is better than controversial Chicken, yep. which are always fed a load of grains. That's all they're fed on. They're massively high in omega six and pork. You know, That's these so things we're told yeah. avoid red meat. You know, but actually, chicken is okay. It's lean, but there's no problem with fat with saturated no. fat. So we've got a lot. There's a lot of things. There, that are there's wrong a long, a lot of catching up actually, advice. because uh, yeah. you know, obviously, we're told to now eat more protein. And when you look at high sources of protein, you know, chicken comes out pretty much, you know, one of the top on the, on the, on the protein charts and it's relatively affordable. I mean, certainly compared to yes, you know, yeah, grass, yeah. grass fed beef and, you know, you get industrialized chicken, you know, pretty much everywhere you look. And that actually that point hasn't been made to me before that it will be higher in omega-6s. That's really fascinating. It's massively high in omega-6 if mm. you look it up. But yeah, we sort of, this sort of omega-3-6 hypothesis, which, you know, when you look at the, you know, epidemiology around the world, people who consume Western foods with lots of these oils in develop problems with inflammation and obesity. And it came about when we were told to avoid saturated fats um, and we went into seed oils instead. Mm. You know, this is where the problem started. And it's backed up when you look into the, the sort of the nuances of what seed oil does to due to us, so inflammation and mm-hmm. problems with insulin signaling. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're, Fascinating. We're, it's, it's something that is still not really understood by or accepted by most people, but I think it's really yeah. important. Yeah. The other Love thing it. about that is, mm-hmm. you know, you need to change the way you eat as far as those oils are concerned mm-hmm. for about a year for it to change your body. It takes ages. But once right. your body is changed... Yeah. You do have a totally different body. Your metabolism is better. You know, you can protect your weight much, much easier. Fascinating. And the great thing is, yeah. you know, fish obviously is the best for omega-3. Yeah, oily fish. Well, let's pause for a moment here. When we come back, I really want to dig into hormones and particularly the hunger hormones and options for surgery. And, you know, also whether some people are always just going to carry a little more weight perhaps than others. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, let's just kick off this second half with just a little bit of practicalities about surgery, because obviously, you know, you spend your working life as a surgeon and we've talked about, you know, when people come to see you, can you just sort of briefly explain bariatric surgery? Is it something as simple as, as making a smaller stomach so there's less room for food or is there a little bit more complex than that? It's a little bit more complex than that. Basically the, the surgery, if it's done, you know, appropriately in well selected patients is life changing. Mm. We've all seen celebrities that have, suspiciously lost a lot of mm-hmm. weight and they seem to be a different people, you know, and they say they've done it by diets. It's a load of rubbish. If you lost 40, 50 <laughs> kilograms, unless you're my mate, Sama, yes. um, which was very, very unusual, uh, it's probable that you've had one of the two main operations, which is either a gastric bypass or a sleeve gastrectomy. Mm-hmm. So the sleeve operation is actually two thirds to three quarters of your stomach are actually removed. It goes from, you know, the size of a melon to the size of a banana. And the gastric bypass, you know, the stomach's not removed, but it's bypassed. So, you know, you have a little residual egg-sized stomach, which then sort of the food then drains into the intestine. Both of these operations, you know, traditionally we thought it's because people are losing weight because the stomach is smaller and you can't eat as much. But actually, we now know that both of the operations profoundly change the signaling between the stomach and intestines, those hormones that are produced from that area, that you know, swim around in our bloodstream and, and, and hit our hypothalamus mm-hmm. in the brain, which is the weight control center. It's the crucial part of the brain that controls our weight. And we know that after these operations, the various different hormones that you know produce appetite and satiety are totally switched around. Weight loss is sort of seamless. You don't really feel very hungry. You feel as if your body wants to lose 40 kilograms. It doesn't seem like a, a chore or an effort. So for instance, in both the operations that this hormone called GLP-1, glucagon-like peptide 1, increases profoundly. And this 
know, damps down your, your appetite, but also improves the way your insulin functions. So all of a sudden, you don't need as much insulin. Mm-hmm. And as we know from earlier on in our conversation, insulin blocks the weight control hormone. So suddenly, the weight control hormone is it's visible again to, to the hypothalamus. Mm-hmm. And the GLP-1 hormone that goes up really, really significantly in, in this type of surgery is the hormone that's now been copied and is, it forms the part of the, you know, the azempic, right. Gogovi, yes, um, semaglutide, Manjaro type drugs that are ultra popular these days. Mm-hmm. So they, they mimic part of the effect of the bariatric surgery on the hypothalamus. So they're basically an analog or a copy of, of these hormones that that, so it work to, to yeah. block appetite. So like having bariatric surgery, but without it. Are we are we talking about leptin here? Uh, no, that's a different thing. So leptin is that weight control hormone, right? But you know, if you have either the the surgery, yes, or to a lesser extent, it's less effective, but it's still effective. The injection treatment, mm. both of those treatments decrease the amount of insulin that you need and that releases the weight control hormone leptin to be seen by the hypothalamus right, yep. and, it, and that's one of the ways that you know you lose weight. Are there other ways that we can increase leptin? I mean leptin obviously we want to increase it we want to decrease ghrelin but there's no way that I'm going to inject myself with some sort of relatively new drug compound. I mean we don't yes. know what the long-term side effects of that are do we? No totally. Well I mean we know that when you come off it you put the weight back on. No. Um Oh my God! Yeah, What's the point perfect, of that? It's a perfect, it's it's a perfect, perfect drug, drug because it get, gets you hooked into it, and then you've got to use it for life. My gosh! And it's quite expensive, yeah, yeah. especially in America. Um, wow. So to release leptin, to stop leptin being blocked, you know, you need to understand why it's being blocked. So one is that your insulin levels are too high, and that's because your diet might have too much sugar, okay. might have too much refined carbohydrates and processed foods. Mm-hmm. You might be snacking too much between meals. Also, going back to that omega three and six thing, if your body is infused with you know vegetable oil type omega six, it's going to affect your insulin signaling. You need more insulin, and again, that's going to cause leptin, the weight control hormone, to be blocked. So, by changing your diet away from sugar, away from refined carbohydrates, and away from you know seed oils and fast mm-hmm. foods and processed foods, after a while. You know, leptin will be released, and you you will seamlessly lose weight. Seamlessly yeah. lose weight. Okay, so seamlessly lose weight with no seed oils, so we get better insulin signaling. No sugar, so you know, cutting the carbs out. And what about things like taking omega threes? You know, we obviously talk about eating fish, but what about like an omega three supplement? Would that be a useful thing? I don't think it does any harm. Um, mm-hmm. On balance, you know, if you cut omega six from your foods, it's just as good. Um, right. But yeah, omega-3 is uh, it certainly, it doesn't do any harm taking omega-3 supplements. I, I recently tried um, to get back into cod liver oil, but I couldn't tolerate it. It's like uh, yeah. some people like it, but they can't do it. Yeah. And actually, I've also seen some slightly worrying studies on fish liver oil, because obviously liver is an organ where a lot of toxic waste matter can, can be accumulated. And actually, if you are going to have a fish oil supplement, you know, the data I looked at said you're better off eating supplements that have ma- been made by the, the flesh, the oily flesh of the fish or krill, for example, rather than cod liver. Well, you know, like um, do what the Japanese do, you know, just actually 
you can buy your salmon. You don't have to, you know, and just cut it up, have it, have, it, it up. have it, sashimi, <laughs> and um, yeah, and and think about having seaweed. Seaweed's such a good seaweed. food, full of omega three. Yes, yes, very good. And even vegans can have that, which is very good. I mean, let, let's let's talk about the types of food then that we're eating. This is where the debate about why processed foods are quite so bad for us comes in, isn't it? You know, they're already high in calories. Then we eat them even more because they're just so delicious and that's they're made to be, you know, repeat bought and eaten all the time. So we are eating more calories overall, but then presumably, you know, with all the omega-6s and the sugars and everything, that's destroying our leptin. And that's actually what's having more of an effect in terms of weight gain, not necessarily the level of calories that we're eating. That's correct. So, I mean, there's another misunderstanding. So basically when that weight control hormone leptin is working, you can actually overeat and your metabolism will just adapt to overeating. So basically metabolism, just so let me explain basal metabolism, this is the amount of energy you use before you start moving. Mm. And it happens to be about 70% of what we use in total. You can imagine us a little bit like a dimmer switch. We can, we can turn our metabolism up to bright or down to, to dim. When we overeat, if our weight control hormone leptin is, is working, our body will automatically increase the amount of metabolism that we're burning off. So it can easily take away two, three, four hundred kilocalories just overnight, you know, while we're sleeping. Mm. And the same thing happens when we, you know, go on a diet. If our weight control hormone is working, it's just going to reduce that. So when we decrease the calories through through our diet, it will just turn that dimmer switch down. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, there's no weight loss. Your body is adapted to the diet. So the thing that actually changes our weight up or down permanently is the effect on that weight control mechanism, the mm. leptin mechanism. Again, going back to the particular types of food that affect it. And we know it's sugar, refined carbohydrates, vegetable oils. And there's another one in there that we put in the, in the book, uh, fructose, which is a type of sugar, mm -hmm. particularly in in fruits, although in the amounts that we would eat from fresh fruits, it doesn't affect us at all, but it actually does in very high amounts found in, you know, lots of processed foods. And if you eat, a, if you drink a lot of fructose type drinks, fruit juices and things like this, that can trigger a cellular mechanism, which again stimulates weight gain. Right. So these things, sugar, refined carbohydrates, vegetable oils and fructose tend to be, you know, contained in processed foods of things that, you know, will, it's not the calories, it's, you know, the effect that these hormones have as far as drug, almost like a drug is concerned. Interesting. So the fructose point, I've seen uh, sort of diet drinks or not, I don't think they're labelled as diet, they're sort of labelled as light, containing fructose, whether they're using it because it's lower in calories or people think that it's a little bit healthier. It's okay, it's so you need less of it. So would you, would you actually say no, anything that has fructose in it actually is not going to be a healthy choice when it comes to leptin? No, so that's a slightly different mechanism. So the fructose mechanism is a direct mechanism on the cell which causes you know, a weight gain, almost like a hibernation weight gain mm. response at very high doses in humans. So that's different to the uh, the blockage of leptin. I think if you look at, you know, if you're drinking something which has got added whatever in, you know, probably it's not great. And the other thing about fructose, obviously, you know, half of half of sugar is, is fructose. So sugar is half fructose, half glucose. So, you know, we can try and look out for 
for fructose and avoid fructose containing mm. things. But also if we have sugar, then we're still, still taking a load of it. You're still in. having it. And I know that, you know, particularly in America, I mean, and it's reaching over here as well, there's a lot of high fructose corn syrup that's used mm-hmm. and the whole sort of corn syrup because it's such a cheap ingredient, sort of a, a byproduct of, you know, making seed oil, for example. So you've got two baddies, haven't you, that come out of one nice plant. And then you've got the omega-6 seed oil, and then you've got the, the, the corn syrup that comes out that's used as a sweetener. I mean... It's amazing what you can do. Yeah. yeah and just think, you know, they are very cheap, very commercial, high-intensity, you know, high-yield crops that are grown, you know, monocultures with huge amounts of glyphosate and pesticide and all the rest of it. And uh, I mean, hopefully... And what most just, people eat, yes. And that's, yeah, that's the, the mainstay. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, I mean, I was in the supermarket recently and just having a look around and I was just shocked, actually. You go down the aisle and there, is, there was sort of two entire aisles of, of cakes and biscuits and, you know, Mr. Kipling this and, and deliciously dreamy that. And, you know, it was just shocking when you start to see the amount of sugar per 100 grams on each pack. And they were all sold as treats, as specials, and a lot of them had money off. You know, they were buying, you know, buy buy three for the price of two and special discounts. And and then you've got this tiny little fresh fruit and veg aisle. With yeah. no, no, Which no is money the off. the first thing you come across. So you put a bit of that in your in your basket and feel good about yourself. Feel and then, good, yep. And then think, and then great, you're sort I'll of go like and... uh, at the mercy of your yeah. vulnerable human brain. Yeah. So my advice would be, you know, supermarkets are really dangerous. You know, we, mm. you know, we do crave these things. Mm-hmm. It's much better. And these days, we can get food delivery. Yeah, do it online. Or we can just go. I mean, mm. if we're not in a little village where we've got a green yeah. which is obviously the That's ideal. That's the best. Sure. Um, just actually go online and just order you know, fruit and vegetable or go to a company like Oddbox where you get a Love load that. of uh, 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 brilliant vegetables yep. that are slightly different shapes. But like they're great, they're fresh. Yes. you know. Um, and we need to support um, our farmers and producers and growers, frankly, you know, because yeah, if we don't support them, from them. Yep, then, then they're going to disappear and yeah. then we're, we're all stuffed. So that would be one of my <laughs> advices, you yeah. know, avoid the supermarket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Coming back to the hormones, I think another hormone that we need to know about, which you touched on earlier, is ghrelin. Now, where does that come into? We've talked a little bit about leptin uh, being very helpful. What about ghrelin? Presumably that's that's the other side of the coin, is it? Yes. Yeah, so ghrelin is the appetite hormone. and It's a short-term appetite hormone, so it will work over hours or days. And this is the, the, the hormone that is produced by the top part of the stomach, we call it the fundus of the stomach. If we haven't eaten for a few hours, the level of ghrelin in our bloodstream starts to rise and then the hypothalamus senses this and it starts to, you know, give you that feeling of hunger and food-seeking behavior and calorie-seeking behavior, so bad foods, Mm -hmm. you know. And this is the thing that, you know, anyone who's fasted or anyone who's gone on uh, big low-calorie diets, ghrelin is the enemy, you know. It's the thing that, you know, is really, really difficult to resist. You know, the weight loss injections and bariatric surgery tend to block ghrelin, uh, I think indirectly, mm-hmm. but um, they tend to block it. But, you know, it's really difficult to to, to withstand it, you know. Powerful. Um, it's just mm. one of our, you know, it's one of, one of the mechanisms the body uses to keep us at its desired weight, which might not be a healthy weight. Mm. But if you understand why your brain wants to keep you at an unhealthy weight, because, for instance, you've got far too much omega-6 in your bloodstream and around your cells and, you know, your diet is too full of sugars, carbs and snacking, then once you sort of get that, then it's easier to, yeah. to, to sort of understand how to 
lose weight and keep it off. Once you sort of really understand, you know, what the food does to you as a drug, mm -hmm. you know, does your body and your hormones as a drug, and also what it does to you as far as your mind and habits are concerned. Mm. Once you understand that, it just becomes quite natural that, you know, there are some things you don't want to eat yeah, anymore. Absolutely. You're just not going to go there. I mean, I remember when we had our original conversation on an earlier episode, you talked about all of us having a weight set point, you know, the weight that our body seems to be happiest at. And I think that you're alluding to that here now, you know, that we, that there is a, a set point and it may be slightly more than perhaps we would ideally want to see on the scales for ourselves. You know, how, how, how far can we fight against that set point? And, you know, is it something that we're literally going to have to live with and say, listen, the body wants to be this weight. You're never going to be less than this, but actually it's going to be quite healthy for you to be that weight. Um, yes, yeah, so the weight set point is, I think, just explains weight regulation, obesity, you know, intractable obesity, people not being able to lose weight on diets. And the theory is that it's a combination of your genetics and your food and stress environments. 75% of the weight set point is actually due to your genetics. So, you know, it might mm. be that you're lucky enough to have a naturally slim body and you can actually eat a load of rubbish and not put weight on. Some people mm -hmm. are like that. But actually, probably two-thirds of the population the other way and that you know when they're exposed to a western food environment we talk about sugar refined carbohydrates snacking you know, vegetable oils they will start to put the weight on because you know they're they will start to develop a blockage of this hormonal regulation system leptin and you know their weight set point will drift upwards and it's not just so we've got genetics and we've got Western food environment, but we've also got stress. So cortisol right. is very important. So this is where we all sort of know that if you do, well, we sort of know, and I have a lot of patients who can't lose weight, you know, uh, despite really low calorie mm -hmm. dieting. And they tend to be very, very stressed. They can't stop talking. They've got like problems with, you know, at work or, you know, or in their families. And it's clear that they've got very high levels of stress. And it's almost like they're, uh, they're acting like a, a cornered animal, you know, and a cornered animal is not going to want to get rid of any energy. You know, it needs it needs to keep that energy in case, you know, it needs to go on a long run or whatever. Um, so stress levels are really important to release you. If you want to, if you want to lose weight, you need to de-stress because otherwise cortisol is going to stick, is going to keep that weight on so you. So how, how specifically um, does it do, do that? How does a higher level of cortisol make you retain a higher level of fat, for example, in the body? Again, it's due to insulin. So it, right. it affects insulin signaling. So it's basically all, all, all sort of tied up with, with insulin signaling. Um, so the more cortisol you have, the higher the insulin level, that then blocks the, the leptin. And it's not just sort of work and family stresses. It's also sleep that's really important. Yes. So if you don't sleep properly, you know, naturally you're going to be much more stressed. Um, so it's really important to Know, have good sleep hygiene. We sort of all know this anyway. Sure. But, you know, we need to get our melatonin working. Melatonin is that mm. hormone that comes from our brain when it starts to get dark and it's released and we naturally become very, very sleepy. We don't want to go through a situation where it's 11 o'clock or 11.30 at night, all the lights are on full. Yes. And then you expect to go to sleep straight yeah. away. It's impossible. Well, I've actually recently start. invested in a pair of blue blocking glasses so oh, I've, got, I've got, yeah, really good. And I have a sleep app. 
And I, so I, I can track my sleep and monitor the amount of REM and deep sleep that I get. And I, I know that when I'm wearing my blue light blocking glasses from like six, seven in the evening, I have a better night's sleep and I can prove it through tracking it on the app. And what so, uh, app do you use, Liz? I use Sleep Cycle. Is that just from uh, a watch or? No, no, it's just a free app. I mean, I think you can pay to have a, you know, sort of a, an upgrade or whatever, but I, it acts as my alarm and uh, you, you switch it off. So it's not on Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or anything at night because I switch all that off at night too. I'm not, I'm not quite sure how it works, magic or something, but it, uh, and it, and it records your breathing and also quite scarily, it records your snoring. So, um, you can actually tell yeah so I'm yeah I'm taping my mouth and doing all of that but you know a lot of the things I'm doing are prioritizing sleep because I know that that is in turn affecting my hormones and is increasing things like the level of acomancia in the gut which we know has been linked to to staying a healthy weight for longer and um, you know presumably you're you're well across kind of microbiome and beneficial bacteria that can also help yeah well actually Liz I'm quite a pessimist about the microbiome. Are you? So uh, I think it might be a bit of an industry. Oh. I don't think you can prove anything. Um, yeah, interesting. You, know, you can sort of prove anything with yeah. a lot of loose data, you know. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, investment in this whole area. There's a lot of people selling, you know, probiotics and things like that. Yes. I'm sure it will come to something, but at yes. the moment, um, I think there's quite a lot of BS uh, with the research there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For instance, yeah. you can't prove that someone's who's obese and, uh, and whose microbiome is different mm. is obese because of that microbiome. You know, food causes a change in the microbiome. Okay, which came first? Was it the exactly. microbiome or the food? Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, that's going to be a point for another another podcast, I think. But basically, yes. bottom line, as we kind of wrap up here, I think there are some incredibly helpful takeaways here. Bottom line is chuck out the seed oils, the ultra-processed foods, the refined sugars, the carbs. Look at things like fructose and, you know, all those high-sugar foods. Prioritize sleep. Try and keep stress levels down. And reframe your brain. Reframe the way that you think about things, get into these healthier habits, start to, you know, lift the veil on the food industry and, and not not buy into it, not be one of their pawns on the chessboard. And you, you know what you're going to do as well, which is in the book, make it easy, make it easy to, to cook great food. So sort out your kitchen. And this is explained in one of the chapters of the book. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a chef myself, but, you know, as an enthusiastic amateur, it's like some advice about, you know, what to have in, mm. where, you know, what should be in your pantry, you know, all this stuff that should just be ready to cook. All you need is a few fresh ingredients. You can knock up anything. And then the book's actually got some recipes this time around because, you know, people wanted some. And the one that I really love is the mushroom buckwheat risotto so nice buckwheat is fantastic as a as a sort of switch from from white rice mm-hmm. proteiny it's a little bit crunchy it's um it's a lovely taste so you nice. recommend that one Liz. do love a bit of buckwheat i was making buckwheat blinis over the christmas period oh, so uh, and interestingly for those listening they are gluten-free because it's actually a seed isn't it and not a not a grain it is. And you know they're a staple in Russia and Eastern Europe, uh, yeah. these countries that don't suffer with uh, obesity. Yeah, fascinating. Thank you so much, Andrew. I really, really enjoyed our chat. Very best of luck with the book. It's brilliant, as is your first one. And I'm sure it's given a lot of people a lot of food for thought, if you'll excuse the pun. So thank you. A pleasure as always, Liz. Thanks. 
Well, a huge thanks to Andrew again for all his time. And I was fascinated by that. I mean, so much of it we know, don't we? Eat less sugar, do a little bit of exercise. But that hormonal element is just so crucial. And I thought that the information about seed oils and the explanation there about what these omega-6s are doing in terms of lowering our insulin signaling and just not making us as insulin resistant as we need to be was absolutely fascinating. So no seed oils, no sugar, looking at the omega-3s, a bit more fish, for example. And these are all things that we can do relatively easily that will make a huge difference. And remember, of course, if you are ever in need of some healthy eating inspiration, do head over to lizardwellbeing.com. Lots and lots of delicious recipes on there. I'm loving some of the savoury dishes at the moment and also some of the warming soups and interesting winter salads as well. Absolutely delicious and packed with good nutrition. Well, how has your relationship with food changed over time? Do let's carry on this conversation. The best way to do that for us is on Instagram. That's at Wellbeing. And if you'd like to chat with me, you can do so in the comments at Liz Earl Me. Well, next week, how to be your own therapist. Really interesting and useful stuff. Join me for that by clicking the follow button wherever you're listening to this right now. And if you can't wait and you'd like to hear that episode and all future episodes 24 hours early without any ads, you can subscribe to the Liz Earl Wellbeing Show Plus on Apple Podcasts. And that's a very small monthly fee. Okay, well, until the next time we chat, go very well. Goodbye. The Liz Earle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Liz Earle, and is produced by Anushka Tate for Fresh Air Production, with additional production support from Ellie Smith. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 